the most surefire way to like build a successful platform in the long run from in a digital perspective is email. For me, email's everything. Hey friends, this is Eric Nemmons. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of The Christian Podcaster. I'm going to drop right into the episode here, but this is going to be a little bit different. This is a recording of a session from a CPA Gold meeting that we live streamed straight into CPA so everybody could uh, read it or watch it uh, back in January 2023. I wanted to play it here because I want you to get a sense for what a CPA Gold meeting is like. I want you to join us. I'll mention it during the recording. So if you want to go there, it's christianpodcasterassociation.com slash gold. You can join the meeting. We'd love to have you do that uh, because we think it's a, it's a great value and it's a great community, particularly for Christian podcasters. That's why we created it. We'll talk more about it, but I wanted you to get a, a little taste of it here. So enjoy. Here's uh, the CBA Gold Group and Chris Martin. All right, friends. So we're, you're getting a little peek inside. We are live in Christian Podcasters Association, and you should be able to see us at this point. Uh, this is our weekly CPA Gold meeting, which is our membership. And I'll tell you a little bit more about that in a little bit. We're going to get started because we have a special guest. And this is one of the things we do. We bring in guests to come and speak with us and teach us and just to, to learn and, and glean from. I'm going to introduce him here in just a moment and we'll get going. So our I'll, I'll do that right now. Our guest, uh, he is an editor of Moody Publishers and a social media marketing and communications consultant. He regularly writes his Substack newsletter, which I've been reading since I had him on my show last year, Terms of Service. There's a book by that name and a new book coming out called The Wolf in Their Pockets, which is, that's very clever and provocative. So that's why I wanted to talk to you again. 13 Ways the Social Internet Threatens the People You Lead. Very interesting. Our guest is Chris Martin. Chris, welcome to uh, CPA and to our, our little membership here. I'm glad you're here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, I recognize a few Excellent. Your faces and names from uh, I did a little bit of a circuit of some of these folks for terms when it came out a year ago, which is crazy. I was looking through my email to find our discussion about tonight to make sure I had all my details right. And uh, I saw that it was like almost exactly a year ago that I was on your yeah. podcast. So it's, I know. it's funny. Um, I, I noticed but, that. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Uh, which is fantastic. Thanks for being here. So uh, and I'm glad that, uh, you know, the new book gives us a good occasion, but I think I've been, we've been kind of looking at it for a while, but you're, we normally meet on Tuesday and you got like small group or something really important like that. So that's all right. We, we shifted because I think you, what you have to say is, really super important and I want to hear it. So what I'd love to do, we have that kind of, um, you know, brief introduction for you and kind of what you're up to, but give us a little more on like what you do at uh, your sub stacks, terms of service, and kind of what you're passionate about. And that'll kind of frame the conversation where we're going to go from there. Yeah, sure. So um, man, where do I even start this conversation? Uh, so I've worked in social media and online content, I mean, my whole career. Um, and I started writing. In fact, I just wrote about this this past week in my newsletter. I started writing on the internet when I was like 13. Uh, I was writing on a Zanga when I was like 13 and then a live journal. I, I wrote this week about 
how I got my live journal anniversary email for 16 years on live journal, which is half of my life. Um, now, of course, I've not written there since I was like a junior in high school, but from like, from like ninth grade through junior year, I was blogging there regularly. Uh, you know, that was 2004, five to seven. And um, so anyway, I've done this kind of thing for a long time. It's just always been interesting to me. And then I wrote a blog like with a bunch of other high schoolers, like when a senior year, wrote a blog with a bunch of other high schoolers who were in my town. And then I got a college scholarship because of that blog, which is just like bizarre. And then I got a Bible degree and then I graduated and came down to Nashville because I got a job at Lifeway Christian Resources managing, like my first job out of college was managing the blog for this guy named Ed Stetzer, who had like this blog <laughs> at Christian, this blog at Christianity Today. And that was my Small first job. job. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I applied because I knew that there was a, an extension campus for Southern Seminary down here and I'd already been accepted to Southern. So I was like, oh, like that'll be easy. And I could just, but I was like, there's no way they're going to hire a 22 year old kid who literally just graduated college. <laughs> uh, but, you know, sometimes you, you want that kind of person to run social media in a blog. So, uh, so that was my first job doing that. And then eventually, like by 2017, I was head of social media at Lifeway. So at the time, Lifeway had 270 social media accounts. And I, so I oversaw those and the 65 people who were in charge of them. And then I also ran the at Lifeway social media handles uh, from like 2017 to 2020. Um, so through the store closures and election season, and it was rough. Uh, yeah. So, but, but during that time, like, obviously, given the little bit of background I gave you, like I had a ton of experience in sort of like what I call long form online content. I'd done a ton of YouTube stuff. I'd done a ton of blog stuff. That was kind of my sweet spot. Obviously with that comes social media, but I didn't go to school for any of it. And I mean, that kind of makes sense, right? Like if I would have gone to school for marketing in 2009 to 13, when I was in college, they would not have really been teaching me like social media stuff. Like I was learning on my own. And so uh, I had the, the sort of theological foundation to be working in a Christian publisher environment, but then a lot of like just the practical knowledge of like running social. And I kind of made it, I'm just, I'm very competitive and more like self-competitive than anything. Mm -hmm. And so I was always my goal at Lifeway when I was like working in social before I became head of social to like be the first one to know anytime like Facebook changed up their algorithm or Instagram changed what they were doing or YouTube decided that, you know, uh, descriptions matter more than tags or, you know, when, when all of these platforms were doing all of their, you know, uh, gyrations there in the early 2010s and, and leading up to 2020. I wanted to be the first one. I was like, if I learn about this from anybody else, I've failed. Like I want to know when this yeah. stuff is happening and then be able to adapt. And so I just tried really hard, man. I set up like, if this, then that, uh, you know, IFTTT yeah, yeah. uh, things to like, every time they posted to their company blogs, I'd get text messages. And then I, you know, pull up on my phone, like, what are they doing? Um, just, it was, it was crazy, but did that for a while and just got burnout of running social. Honestly, I was like, I've, been running social media for far too long. I'm on the front. I mean, it was to a point when you, cause you're doing PR more than you're doing marketing when you're doing it at that level. And it was really like, I'd wake up every day, especially, I mean, this was during COVID, right? This is 2020 now. And it was just wake up every day. Like who's mad at us? Why <laughs> is it justified? And what do we do about it? Um, right. And so it was just a lot of like putting out fires and I was pretty good at, like I was good at putting out fires and good at fighting fires. But eventually, like, I was like, I want to build something rather than just play defense all the time, which is just kind of what I felt like I was doing. All of that said, like, while that was my professional life, 
I started to study more like what social media doing to us on like a more foundational level, a psychological level, a spiritual level. And I'm not a psychologist. I am a theologian. I mean, everyone's a theologian, but I have an MDiv. And so like I've, I study theology and in, in both in college and seminary. And so I started just thinking about social media, not less from a tactical perspective, but I guess because I was so deep in the tactical, I started thinking about it a lot more from like a psychological, sociological mm. and spiritual sense. So I read like, Neil Postman's Amusing Ourselves to Death for the first time in 2017, which just really like, I mean, that book was written in 1985 and I read it in 2017 and it couldn't have been more relevant. Um, even though he's primarily talking about television, I mean, you can take his chapter on the telegraph and it literally just ports over to like, just replace the word telegraph with Twitter and it's perfect. <laughs> like it works. Right. Um, Have you so, read Technopoly anyway, I, by him, by the way? Oh yeah, yeah. Technopoly is great. I think Amusing... It's funny because like I, I might, we might talk about a little bit about this, but like I use the word social, the phrase term social internet and social media somewhat interchangeably just because I understand that not everybody's on the same page, but I really think of them as different. So like I think of social internet as like the technology because Postman was very good at mm -hmm. Neil Postman, if you guys don't know him, was a New York University professor uh, through the 1980s and well, probably, I think earlier than that, 60s, but all the way up until uh, the early 2000s when he died of cancer. And uh, New York University media ecologist is what they call it, which is just a fantastic term, media ecologist. Um, yeah. But he just studied media and how we consume media and technology a little bit as well. And he did a very good job of explaining the difference between technology and media, which when you think of social media, you think of both technology and media, but they're really different. Like, Technology, putting it in like TV terms, which is a little bit easier. Technology is the actual TV, right? Like the wires and the and the power and the you know the the box. And but media is that sitcom or that news program or that sports event that you watch on TV. That's the media. Like the media is the culture that is allowed to be created because of the technology. So when we're talking about the internet and particularly the social internet, the social internet is the technology, the algorithms, the platforms themselves, the ones and zeros that make up how all of these things work. That's the social internet, um, as I and others have described it. Social media is better understood as the culture we create on these platforms. Like if you think of the social internet as the stage, as in various stages, YouTube is a stage, Facebook is a stage, Instagram is a stage. And then social media is the acts that perform on those stages. And every stage has their own preferences and their own quirks and their own rules, uh, policies, all of that. And the acts kind of have to, you know, act and, and go about their business within the bounds of whatever stage they're performing on. And so um, I just began studying the social internet and social media a bit more broadly from a, from a broadly and more deeply from a more psychological and sociological perspective. Like what's this doing to us? I have a feeling that this is more bad than it is good. You know, I, I once believed that social media is neutral and was starting to believe like, no, I really don't think it is. Like, I really don't think, I think it's bent toward brokenness and we have to try to use it in redemptive ways. I don't think it's a sort of blank slate situation. And so I just started to have some more deep thoughts about it and thought I'm a, I'm a pretty good writer, I've been told, and, and I've done a ton of writing over the course of my life. And so I was like, I think I should start you know, taking some of these thoughts that I have that I'm just sharing with friends and occasionally writing at some outlets and do it in a more focused way. So I started the uh, Terms of Service Substack. Substack was very new at the time when I started in like late 2019 or early 2020. I think it was like right around, right before COVID kind of happened. Um, 
And uh, I'd, I'd done blogs before, but I was like, I really think email's making a comeback. So I want to try out this Substack thing. Cause when I started, I was doing like primarily paid, like you had to pay to subscribe. Mm-hmm. And then when I got, when I signed to do the book, I was like, well, I should probably open this up because that'd help with the book and stuff. So um, right. but anyway, it's been free ever since. So it was, it was paid only for the first probably eight to 10 months in 2020. And then opened it up to whoever wanted to subscribe. So yeah. And then, and then, so terms of service, the book happened in early a year ago. And then, which is more like my like foundational, like it's meant to be a mirror book as I describe it, like terms of service is like, what is social media doing to me? And what can I do about that? Like, what should I do about that? In fact, I wrote it to be like, it's clearly from a Christian worldview, but I didn't litter scripture throughout because I wanted it to be read and, and, be able to be uh, helpful to people who even maybe aren't Christians, but would agree with a lot of the tenets of the book. And then, but this one coming out, the best, like the most common feedback I got to terms last year in the last year was, man, this is really helpful for like reflecting on my relationship with social media, but you know, I'm a parent or I'm a youth pastor or I'm a senior pastor and I'm seeing social media devastate the lives of people in my ministry or in my life that I'm supposed to shepherd and care for can you write a book for me, for my kind of, for people like me to help lead? Like basically how do I disciple people when social media is discipling the people I love more than anything? Yes. Um, and so I was like, that's a really, I, I, I learned in the last year that that's a really big felt need. And I don't ever like to write just to write. So I like to like, how can my interests and gifts align with something that's clearly a need? And so that's kind of how this book came about. And yeah, it's uh, coming out a year later, which is just kind of crazy. Most people don't have books come out year one year after the next, so it's kind of crazy to. No, if you do that, so you're fast. It's you're it's not considered it. good strategy. It's not, well, it's not considered good strategy, really. You're supposed to give your projects a little bit more. I work in publishing, so I know how these things sure. work. Uh, and these things are supposed to, these things are supposed to breathe a little bit. But it's all right. I needed to get this one out. And then the name of the new book, James, is uh, "The Wolf in Their Pockets." It's on Amazon. There's an Amazon page for it. "The Wolf in Their Pockets: Thirteen Ways." social media threatens the people you lead. Well, it's funny. You mentioned the title being provocative. I just was like, when I started writing the proposal, that image came, like people are trying to shepherd the sheep. Yeah. Oh, and, and protect them from wolves, but they're carrying wolves around in their pockets. And so I was just like, Oh, that's kind of a quippy little title. Like I'll just name the proposal that as like, a, cause you need it. You need to name it something rather than just like book proposal. And uh, the publisher ended up taking it. So. Yeah, well, I, I do think it's a little provocative, but I think it's good. I mean, you, I, I'm a sucker for a provocative title, so that's uh, that's good. But uh, so anyway, so I love all that. I think that's that's a really good overview of what you're about. I want to get into some of the things that you wrote about and that you that you want to share. Um, but here's so here's the thing. I think you're you're onto something. I asked a question in in the group. This is in the larger group. You know, just describe your relationship with social media in one sentence or less, right? And so here's some of the words that people use. Um, like for, first person, a blessing and a curse, right? Um, information gathering, learning last so there's some positive things, full of confusion, um, you know, meeting like-minded people, convenient and enjoyable way to connect with people, a learning center, uh, one person says, and a tool for connecting, a place to honor God, and then, you know, disenchanted. So it's kind of up, up and down all across the spectrum. Does that surprise you? And like, and how, how would you eventually where I want to go in this conversation, whether we do it here or we, we build to it a little more uh, based on what you're, what you've written, you can direct that for us. Okay. But uh, where I want to get to is how can a Christian 
engage a Christian with a message engage in social media well. So does that surprise you as a you know hearing those kind of kind of tension that people feel about social media? Uh, no, not at all. Tension. If I had to describe most of the conversations I've had with people in the last few years about their relationship with social media, and I had to whittle it down to one word, tension is the best word mm-hmm. I could use to uh, summarize that. Um, so I think, yeah, like the tension is, yeah, I mean, I don't know how else to say it. Like tension is yeah. the epitome of most people's relationship with social media. I, and here's here's the thing is like almost no one, it's very rare that someone is going to use social media and say, this is absolutely awful and it's destroying my life. Because chances are, if they feel that way, they would not count themselves among people who are still using social media. Um, but I think, and this is kind of the point of when I wrote terms was like, I think it's, I think it's kind of eating us alive without us realizing it in a lot of ways. Like it's, it's warping us and how we interact with the world in ways we don't realize, like it's, it's making us like crave entertainment about like, we start to judge things based on how entertaining they are or how good, how good they make us feel. And we don't necessarily see that as bad. Like we, if you asked us, what's our relationship with social media, we wouldn't say it's turning us into self-centered consumeristic monsters, but it, but it is in some respects. Um, And so I think, yeah, tension is a really good word. And I think what's also like not surprising is most of the folks you asked probably are, you know, uh, probably have a bit more of a healthy relationship than like the average person. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, and they're also, maybe I'm speaking too highly of your folks, but I get the sense that maybe they have a little bit more mature relationship. You you should absolutely think very highly of uh, our (laughs) Christian podcasters because they're all amazing people. Uh, but you're right. And there's, there's a little irony in asking that question on a social media platform too, right? Like I'm not, I'm sure you know, I get that. But so I thought it was really interesting because it can go both ways and some of that's your experience. Some of it maybe is your personality. Um, and, but you, you're talking about, there's these other things that are a little bit sinister underneath. I love the idea that you talked about um, using language. Like, is it shaping us? Is it, is it discipling us in a way that perhaps we're not aware of. I think there's a huge problem in the American church. We have some pastors on here, so, you know, they can, they can chime in if they want, but um, the, you know, you don't, you spend maybe, maybe an hour or two at church on a Sunday morning, maybe a small group, but then, uh, you know, whatever you're, depending on what your personal practices are, maybe you have some of that, but we end up spending, you know, I get a little message on my phone every week that says I've spent this many hours on, on it. Right. We're spending a lot more time with other people, whether it's, you know, for some of us, it's YouTube or it's uh, talk radio or whatever it is, those things are shaping us. So, you know, how do you think that social media is shaping this? And is, oh, I'll ask that question and then we'll, I have a few other places I want to go. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think a little bit of what I already said, like social media is shaping us to um, like, I think something I've said a lot, over the last few years is that um, while while we consume social media, I think we may not realize how social media is consuming us. And that sounds like, oh yeah, that's a nice little thing. But like, I really think that I, I, I described uh, in the, in the new book, sorry, I don't mean to reference that, but I'm like, I'm always no, like, which do. one do I say? I'm like, which one do I say this in? <laughs> that's like, I have to think like, okay, which um, it's in the new one. And I've written about this a bit in the newsletter. So this won't be, new to anybody who is subscribed but um i think 
I think about a lot of things in terms of like a spectrum or a negative to a positive scale, like a negative five to a positive five and like, you know, like a number line kind of thing. And um, I think when I think about like the spectrum of how we engage with social media, I think of two ends of a spectrum that are both unhealthy. And of course we want to aim for the middle. So one is uh, like passive ignorance. This is less common than the other, which is why we address it first. But passive ignorance would just be the sort of mentality that I don't think anybody in this room has given the nature of who's in this room. Um, but passive ignorance is going to be uh, like social media doesn't really matter. It's a fad. Um, it's like, don't get all bent out of shape. Like, what's the big deal? Um, you know, that that mentality was a lot more common, like seven to 10 years ago. Like when yeah. I took a job in social media in 2013, we had a very well-meaning family member who's very successful in his career who was like, hey, do you think you should be taking a job in social media? Like, I think it's going to be gone in a few years. Like, it's not <laughs> that relevant. Um, like, it's, it's you know, just a fad. And I was like, yeah, maybe. I don't think so. Um, and, <laughs> and so that mentality used to be a lot more dominant, but it's still around. I mean, there, there are plenty. I mean, I consult with a lot of churches um, on social media strategy kind of stuff. I, I, I do like some... Co- consulting on social media strategy like hey how can your church do social media better and some more of like hey church social media is tearing my church apart what do i do about it so i do a little bit of both and i i have come across more pastors than you would probably think who are of this passive ignorance who are just like yeah social media is not really that important um like it doesn't really matter that is until it starts tearing apart their church and they're like oh wait wait a second uh, you, you may I, have put is, your finger on something right there. Like, I, yeah, I, I'm right. a little, uh, uh, chagrined is not the right word. Indignant maybe is a better word, uh, about that because it's, it's just completely clueless about what is actually happening yeah. out in, in the oh, world. Oh man. And it is like, it is still common. Um, so that's one end of the spectrum. Uh, that's o- overall among the general, like American population, that's the less common one, but within a lot of church circles, mm-hmm. it is still quite common. The other end of the spectrum of how we relate to social media, I think uh, on, in an unhealthy way is this sort of uncritical embrace. And this is the more common one. And the one that some of you in this room may fall prey to, I know I have, and that's a little bit harder to reconcile because we might feel a little bit convicted about it. Um, uncritical embrace is this just a sort of like, bring it on. I'll do whatever. I'll, I'll do it all. I'm going to do reels. I'm going to do Instagram. I'm going to do TikTok. I'm going to do YouTube shorts. I'm going to be on every platform. I'm going to post as many times a day. Oh, Instagram wants my location. Why not? Yeah, of course. I'll give Instagram my location. Who cares? Like every new feature, it's like early adopt. It's a side effect of being an early adopter, which I've always been of, of this kind of stuff. And so I've been here. But it's this idea that like anything that comes along, we're just like, oh yeah, I'm not going to think twice about this. Of course, I'm going to give this a shot. Of course, I'm going to download this new app and do this thing. Um, and that is the default, what I would I would call this the default orientation of our hearts and minds towards social media. Um, and just as a general rule, like if, if I were to throw a dartboard and guess, do I hit somebody who's ignorant of social media? That's like, this is irrelevant. Or uh, somebody who's just like, yeah, give it all to me. I'll, I'll be on everything. I'm going to expect to hit the person who's going to want to be on everything. That's just, we just let it happen to us um, rather than having an intentional relationship. And so I think that can lead to an unhealthy relationship with social media in countless ways, whether that's not caring at all about your privacy, um, whether that's 
posting too much and becoming self-centered and sort of like idolatrous of the self, um, all, all kinds of ways that having an uncritical embrace and attitude and mentality towards social media can get unhealthy very quickly. So what I just try to advocate for, because I don't think social media is all bad. And I've had to say that a lot in interviews and conversations over the years. I'm not somebody who's like, delete your accounts. Like that's never, I, I, I have had a lot of really great experiences. On, so I would describe my relationship as, with social media as uh, tense and like te by, described by tension. Um, so I'm not one to say it's all bad and you should just delete your accounts. But I do think we have to, if we're going to use it in a healthy way, we have to be intentional about it. Um, in the same way that an alcoholic going to meet friends at a restaurant that serves alcohol needs to not like needs to, he can't just cruise in there and not think about, hey, I have to make sure not to consume here. Like we were addicted to attention. Many of us were addicted to the feedback that we get. I don't need to get into all those psychological discussions of dopamine and all of that, but yeah. we're, we're so addicted to so much that we gain that if we aren't intentional, like, um, Hey, do I need notifications for Instagram turned on? Or can I live my life with Instagram notifications turned off? Like I I've, I just always advocate for let's engage with these things on our own terms rather than being beckoned by them to engage. Um, and I just think that can lead to a more healthy relationship. So yeah, I think I could, I, I could list a hundred ways that I think that we maybe get it sideways, but best kind of summarizes passive ignorance, which is maybe some of us, but few in here, uncritical embrace um, is the most common unhealthy kind of posture. And I just try to advocate for intentional engagement. Even if you decide I don't really want to be on social, I think like for a pastor who I've talked to in this situation, who's maybe more ignorance, like, ah, I don't, I don't want to be there. I'm not like you have to open a Facebook account pastor or you're being a bad pastor. It's more just like, Hey, be aware of things that are going on. Like be aware of how, like some of the data and the research and various stories and happenings regarding social media, I'm not saying everybody needs to be engaged to be intentionally engaged. Um, so anyway. Yeah, that's great. Um, okay. So here, so here's what I what I really want to know because so I, I hear you talking about this social media. There's it can shape us. It can, you know, push us and nudge us in certain directions. And I think that's absolutely true. We're always being shaped. We're always being formed by the practices that we engage in, particularly the ones that we engage in the most. Um, so how here? So I'm really curious. We're all content creators, right? You are too. We're all content creators, we're all making stuff that we want more people to see, right? Which I think is part of the allure of social media for us. Now, we, we all know if you've done this for a little while, it's not the magic bullet that you kind of hope it is, right? That's, that some people seem to get lucky. You never see the stuff on the back end and all the teams and people that they've got. It doesn't really work like you think it does. But I think it's incumbent, and I teach this all the time to our uh, to, to my friends here on the, on the Zoom with us, um, that social media, social having a social media strategy, making sure you're sharing, is part of of promoting your podcast. It's part of sharing sharing your thing. So, how can Christian creators avoid the sort of harmful, manipulative, deceptive practices that people have on social uh, to kind of sell their their junk, whatever it is, and uh, and do it in a way that really honors not only Christ but also the human beings that they're trying to share it with? Can you can you say the first part again? I missed the very beginning. Yeah. Uh, well, which part? Because I talked for a long Sorry. time. Sorry. No, so, no, no. The, the very no, the very beginning of your question, where you said question. How, basically, how do you avoid? How do we avoid the, the harmful, the, manipulative, and deceptive practices? Because I think a lot of people 
do that, right? So what that does is it creates yeah. a lot of um, cynicism, right? Yeah, totally. And so we don't want that associated with the gospel, at least I don't. Uh, yeah. So so how how can we handle that as Christian podcasters? Yeah, a great question, and I'm so glad you're asking this. Uh, and if anybody has engaged in sketchy social media practices in here, I apologize in advance. I'm probably <laughs> going to make you very uncomfortable. I um, highly doubt it, but that's good. Go yeah, you're, right. You've got permission just, to hey, offend. Hey, look there. Uh, yeah, you'd be surprised who has engaged with some uh, in some super shady social media practices because you'd know their names. And so the uh, the thing that's been hardest for me, I think, like you really have hit a nerve here with me uh, that because this is one of this has been one of the hardest things for me in social media over the years, um, because I've worked with two very big Christian publishing companies. Um, I sit on the publishing board for the one I currently work for. Um, and I engage with a ton of really well-known, I call them famous celebrity Christians, especially when I was at life way back in the day. And the kinds of stuff that I've seen people like big name authors or people who are trying to be big name authors engage in on social media in terms of faking influence is absolutely disgusting to me. Um, it's, it's awful because it's because like I'd almost them just like rather get on their blog and like cuss someone out because like at least now you're being like true to yourself rather than just like fake influence. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like, it's just so deceptive and gross. Um, and so let me say first that this is something that I have run into a lot and not among, not just among people who are trying to make it. So maybe you're in here and you've been, you've been tempted to like buy followers or maybe you have, and you feel bad about it. And I'm not trying to shame you here. So don't feel ashamed. Um, there is grace in Christ. Amen. Uh, but, <laughs> but uh, know that if you're maybe feeling that as like a small creator, uh, there are people who have the stages you might want to have who do it too. Um, so it's kind of like that thing where like, it, it's, this is a, sad and hard image but my pastor sometimes says when he's talking about how nothing quite can quite satisfy that like millionaires kill themselves too like mm -hmm. really famous christians who have very prominent stages and big book contracts buy fake followers it's and they, and they don't need to that's the craziest thing um and so it is really disgusting and it's really hard to see and it's um so yeah Anyway, I just want to say that this is something that's really important to me. And it's been one of the hardest things to watch over the years. In fact, when I was back at my old employer, I called this out publicly on a company blog one time and got some pretty nasty emails from partners of ours who have engaged, who had engaged in this practice. And I was like, tough, deal with it. What you're doing is wrong. Um, so I've, I've really gone to the mat for this kind of thing before. How do you avoid it? Uh, you just, I, I mean, first of all, you just, you have to try to do it. Uh, so like, here's what I would say is never feel bad about promoting your stuff. Now, I say that as someone who feels bad promoting his stuff sometimes, <laughs> right. but like, I just have to get over that, you know? Yeah. Um, like it's kind of, I've always, I've often, like I've coached a bunch of authors over the years on how to do social media well. Back when I was at Lifeway, I actually had a job doing that. And I, it's kind of like part of what I do for Moody right now. I also do it as a consultant sometimes, um, like coaching authors, because a lot of authors who sell tens of thousands of books or Bible studies don't know the first thing about how to do social media or blogging. And so I've just kind of taught them how to do that over the years. 
And what um, what I found is uh, you kind of have to try, like it, you have to try to fake it. Um, and promoting your stuff's not bad. And it's kind of like I've, but so I've helped a lot of authors promote their stuff, but I'm like, I started doing Instagram reels last week because I'm trying to be a good author for my upcoming book. <laughs> and I like hate myself and not because I think Instagram reels are bad or anybody who does Instagram reels are bad. That's not what I'm saying. I just like, I'm uncomfortable on video. Like I'd rather speak to a room of 5,000 people than sit in front of my phone um, and talk. And so, uh, so I just feel weird and it feels really self aggrandizing, even though like, I don't judge people who do it because I watch people who do it all the time and find them very insightful and helpful, but it's like, who am I to do this? Like, I just feel really uncomfortable. So all of that, know that that's where I'm coming from. And as somebody who's incredibly uncomfortable promoting himself and feel totally free and fine promoting your stuff. You have every, like, you have gifts that God has given you. Like, I think as I've coached authors over the years, what I've always said is like, God has given you gifts to steward. Mm -hmm. Um, It's your responsibility to steward those as best you can. It's not wrong for you to share those gifts with people and to help them. Um, And so I think, like it's not wrong for you to say check out this new podcast or whatever. It is wrong for you to fake that you're more popular than you are because you're lying and you're deceiving people. But again, I think you have to try to do that stuff. That's not something you really just stumble into. Um, and so my encouragement is, um, in fact, I just saw this advice from a very prominent like blogger and and columnist today when I read an interview with him. Um, the best thing you can do to build a platform, frankly, and this isn't a popular or like sexy piece of advice, but it's the best piece of advice I've ever received. It's the best thing that's ever happened. Uh, like that's ever, it's the most effective ingredient I have had in gaining a platform over the years. And I don't have a big one, but I've published two books um, is be regular. Just yep. regularity is huge. Um, and like consistency is more important than frequency. Um, and like if you're on podcast number 145 and you're like, man, I still only have 3000 listeners. Well, you've done like 143 podcasts more than the average podcaster. So just right. keep trucking. Like I'm still adding, you know, 50 subscribers a week to terms of service, even though I came out of the gate adding, you know, 300 a week or whatever, which was like super exciting. I'm still adding a good number and I'm still really helping people. And I'm not, you know, terms of service hasn't sold 10,000 copies, but it sold enough that I feel fine about it. And, and the publishers honored through it. And so like, I think the, the important thing is to just faithfully steward the gifts God has given you trust that he'll bless that in whatever ways he sees fit, not necessarily that you see fit. Um, And even still, even as I have a few thousand newsletter readers and book buyers and all of that, nothing compares to the email I get from a reader on the newsletter or of a book that says, man, this really helped me figure out how to help my kid manage his relationship with social media or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like that, that's worth a hundred thousand email subscribers to me. It really is. And so I think just like, don't underestimate the value of qualitative feedback um, and just keep plugging away and like execute every strategy. Again, this is coming from a guy who used to study the Facebook algorithm as his job and like game it as best as I could in an ethical way, but like figure like, how does it tick? How can I make it happy and serve my audience all at the same time? So like do the best practices, do the strategies. Don't feel bad promoting your stuff. Just don't try to make people 
think you're more important or well-known than you are because they'll figure it out. And if they don't figure it out, they're probably not worth partnering with to begin with. <laughs> and I've like on the publishing board that I sit on, there are a handful of times where I've had to, I've had to talk to like the acquisitions editor who's bringing the book forward. Like, Hey, yeah, this person has 10,000 Instagram followers, but I can tell you that 8,000 of them are fake. And let me show you how. And then that person, like, no, we're not going to work with them. And like, we'll advise others to not work with them if we're asked. Like, it's just don't go that route. It doesn't tend to pay like you think it might pay off. Um, and just faithfully do the work, build your audience, plug away. And I think the Lord will honor that. Absolutely. All right. I'm throwing my hands in the air because that's the advice I give, right? I think I'm, I'm with you on that. I think you got to show up. You got to do the work. You got to keep sharing over and over and over again, publishing your episodes and publish regularly and then get, you know, and I would say even build a community. So I'm, I'm curious about that, Chris, what do you think about, um, I think the question I want to ask is like, what does a Christ-like social media engagement look like? And so maybe you've been outlining that a little bit for us here. Um, but I really think community, there's a lot of opportunities and positive aspects in communities. I think I've been told, so it's not just my opinion. The CPA has a really great community and for a Christian, um, yeah, or for, for a Facebook group, right? So it's not, not all of them are, are that way. Uh, but anyway, so how, how do we do that? The question is, how do we, how do we have a Christ-like social media engagement and are there positives like communities or other things like that? Yeah. So I think there are definitely positives. Like this is a great example of a positive. I've, I've been a part of a number of social media communities over the years where like I've forged lifelong friendships that started in those social media communities. Some of my best friends in the world are people that I actually met first on social media and then we just happen to end up living near each other. Um, and so I think there's, like I've, like I said before, um, I'm, I'm often talking about the negatives of social media just because I think we're all well aware of a lot yeah. of the positives, but we just tend to like gloss over and not pay attention to the negatives. And those are the things that need drug out into the light. But I am very, I like, I like social media a lot, even if I think it's bent towards sin and evil, uh, because it's man-made and everything we make is that way. Um, even though I, I do think it's bent that way, I think there are plenty of ways that it can be redemptive and encouraging and helpful. I've learned so much from people over the years through social. So I think all of that, and that's why tension again is the keystone word here. Um, and I think the way like to have a faithful, like Christ-like social media presence, um, this is something I used to be awful at. Uh, when I first got to Lifeway, especially like I was, new and starting to engage with like well-known people on social media and everybody knew I worked for Stetzer and I was kind of like trying to figure out who I was still as an adult. And I was like a jerk on social media a lot. And, and this was back in the day where like, it was kind of more common to like get in arguments on social media and stuff, just mm -hmm. like, cause we were all, it was like a kid with a new toy. Like we were also trying to figure <laughs> out like, how do we do, how do we do this? And it let's debate theology on Twitter. That sounds like a good idea. But like today it's like, why bother? It's still it's still happening, but most people are just like, "Come on, this isn't the place to do that." But back back in 2013, that was a lot more common. It was just like more I don't know. It was more acceptable, maybe. Um, so I used to not have a very Christ-like social media presence. So uh, know that I think the Lord has been gracious in sanctifying <laughs> me in that. Um, but but uh, those tweets still exist, so you can go find them. But like, um, but I think it looks like trying to be more encouraging than discouraging. Like I, and I say that as somebody like, I still will tweet critical things. It's like, if I read something like, I don't think this is, I don't think this article has it right. Or like, I don't think that's bad, but I'm not mean, you know, there's a difference between mm. 
disagreeing with something or someone on social media and being mean. Like, I think, it, I think we all know that line. Um, and, and I like, if I see something or someone, a friend of mine, another point, and this is more like just strategy than anything. It's also Christ it can lead to being more Christ. Like is I tend to just not engage in prolonged conversation with anybody I don't know personally. So often people will push back against what I've written on a social media platform. And I'll go like, I'll defend myself with one tweet reply or something like that, but I'm not going to sit there for 30 minutes and like debate this person. Um, and I just think that I have kind of set myself to like, I'm not going to engage with strangers beyond a tweet or two uh, has made me have a little bit more of a Christ-like Twitter presence because I'm less likely to get into like a, a belabored like fight about something. So I think um, coming into social media and be interested in, in just stewarding the gifts God has given you to help people, that helping people bit, I think has just changed how I've used social media over the years. Like I, so much of what I do now is just like pointing people to articles I find interesting or helpful or sharing quotes from books I've been reading that I find interesting or helpful. So occasionally, like I said, this isn't something where I'm never saying anything. No, I'm never, uh, this isn't where I'm never being negative. Sometimes I am like saying, Hey, I don't think this person has it right or whatever. But um, I think it's just like, think about it in terms of like ratios and percentages and try to inject more encouragement and positivity into your social media spheres of influence then like don't be the clanging gong all the time of like you know the the gadfly that's just constantly like nagging people about oh i don't think you should have worded that the way you worded it or because <laughs> i used to be that guy and no one likes that guy and no one's pointed to christ by that guy and so um just be more encouraging and and try to yeah create resources that help people rather than like change people's minds or debate or whatever. I just think it, it can tend to, you're going to run yourself breathless, you know, metaphorically speaking. Yeah. One thing I think helps to uh, in the vein of helping people is to ask questions or put the focus on the other people, right? It's one thing to say, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me, listen to my show, do my thing, right? Go to my website. I mean, there's, there's a place for that, but if you can put the focus on your people, on the people that you're trying to serve, give them a question. And, um, in some ways, it's it is a strategy, and so it's kind of uh, I don't think it's manipulative, but I, I I will ask questions that are incomplete, right? That are yeah. that that leave room for other people to fill in some gaps that I I know are there. Um, I used to think I had to give all the caveats, and uh, or people would think I was stupid, and I'm like, well, I don't care if they think I'm stupid; they they probably do anyway. But the but if I add the um, if I leave that space for them, then people will fill in those gaps, and that actually creates engagement, right? That creates then people are sharing and you can ask questions and you can lead, lead people. And that actually can create an interesting community. I love bringing together people on social from different segments of my life, right. From, from church and from that I used to work with 25 years ago and, you know, my wife's family or what, like all these weird pockets of my life and make, put them all in conversation together around one idea, I think is really kind of powerful. And yeah. You know, that's, it's a good thing. Okay. So I have, I have a few other questions. I'm going to, and then we'll open it up for I was, one more. I'll ask one more and then we'll open it up for our friends to ask sure. some questions. Cause I know they've got a few too. Um, what are you like, where, what are you concerned about as social media grows and where do you think, you know, this, this whole thing is headed? What am I concerned about from like a social media perspective? Yeah. Um, 
okay, I'm going to answer this succinctly because I know we have more, maybe more questions from you and maybe more from other people. So um, this is maybe an unpopular opinion, but this is where I'm at. And this is from studying a lot of this stuff. A lot of people are scared of TikTok right now because of China, which totally understand. Um, I say this. <laughs> so TikTok is my favorite social media platform since Vine. Uh, it's, it's just great. Um, but I also, I understand the concern. Like I understand the concern and I think it's merited. In fact, I 100% believe that China is using TikTok in some nefarious ways. Totally think that's happening. Um, but, uh, and I, I hear that is probably the most common question I'm asked today is like, what do you think about TikTok in China? Like that is number one thing that's coming up a lot in conversations. And, and for good reason, because I think it's legit and I think it should probably be banned. And, and one of the predictions I made earlier this year for 2023 is that uh, it will be banned. I think it will be banned in the U.S. this year um, in some major kind of way. I think Apple will bring it out of the App Store or the U.S. will somehow ban it. I think that's probably going to happen. Uh, we've been threatening it for years, and I, I think it will happen. Um, but if you find yourself like super wigged out by TikTok, I would ask you to examine what – Facebook meta has been doing for like the last decade <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> because if if TikTok's freaking you out like if you're afraid of Xi Jinping having all of your stuff uh, there's a dude on this side of the Pacific Ocean who's like done plenty of nasty stuff with your oh, data yeah. already probably so <laughs> so like yeah the uh I've always I've every anytime TikTok's been coming up I'm like have you met Mark Zuckerberg? Like, have you met? Uh, and I don't mean to pin it on him because it's not like he is just the big bad, but like, you know, he's the guy. Um, and so like, I am far, far more concerned about the long-term ramifications of Facebook meta than I am TikTok. Totally. 100%. Um, and yeah, like the Chinese government is genocidal and crazy. Totally. But, but like that is so much further away in a lot of ways then the ways we're being sort of manipulated and used by Facebook Meta's handling of our data. So what I'm concerned about moving forward is um, how much longer are we going to be willing to give up our sense of autonomy and self for entertainment and pleasure through social media? And I, I really hope that um, we don't get to a point where we're just willing to give up anything to be able to express ourselves online. Um, and this is why, like, I just preach intentionality and being like, like smart about what information you share. And I can't tell you, like, I've talked with so many friends over the years who have just like, feel like they've been victims of like predation by people on social media or social media platforms. I had a friend who had twins born early, uh, and they were in the neonatal ICU for a handful of weeks. And she was like posting pictures to her Instagram to like, Hey, here's what's going on here's why we're here, here's how you can pray for us, that kind of thing. Yeah. And like she had a, a woman impersonated her, downloaded all the pictures, started using pictures of her kids to, to get donations for mm. herself to the tune of like 10 grand. Um, that was here in Nashville at Vanderbilt University Medical Center. Like this is a friend of mine um, and this happens. Like, and that was enough. Like I'm, my daughter's two and a half and she still has not made her debut on social media yet. Um, so like, don't, I don't think there's any reason to be paranoid about this stuff, but there is good reason to like, hey, maybe it's weird that we share about our lives online as much as we do. Like, maybe yeah. we need to just like pull that back. And so what I'm concerned about most is 
our relationship with platforms in that regard. I'm also concerned about how people are just going to be taken advantage of through new technologies like the metaverse, which is like we're we're trying to board that ship way before it's done being built. And I just think we need to slow our roll a little bit on that um, and that kind of thing. So so I'm I'm interested in us not getting too far ahead of ourselves with new technology and wanting to be the first on board of the next thing and just see like, hey, maybe we don't need the metaverse yet. We haven't quite figured out how to do this well, uh, just like as a society. Um, <laughs> right. So I, I, yeah, that's my biggest concern is that we get try to get a little too far ahead of ourselves. Um, so, yeah. Good. Yeah, very, very interesting. Okay, so we're getting a lot of comments. By the way, the threaded comments in Zoom, uh, that is kind of fantastic. I'm happy about that. Um, okay, so friends, what questions do you have if you're, uh, on the on the live or, or gold members, what do you what do you got? I know this conversation I think has been very thought provoking. Feel free to if you guys know how to use the raise your hand thing, that'll be easiest. But if you have questions and you want to ask them of Chris, that would be now's your time. What do you what do you got? What's this provoking for you or comment? Go ahead, Amy. Hey, Chris, I am your neighbor oh. in Middle Tennessee. Nice. I mean, Where not you your at? literal neighbor, but I live in Thompson Station. So oh, I'm cool. waving yeah, not far. to you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if let's pretend you're a podcaster and you're trying to figure out where to put your energy in social media, um, what would you do if you were trying yeah. to build community and find people that would resonate with your message? Sure. So I have been a podcaster in the past, not a very good one. It was like, hey, a few friends that we we had a podcast called Social Cues, or like Social QS, uh, where we just <laughs> talked about social media. Um, and but it was very much just like we're just going to sit down and shoot the breeze. And if anybody listens, that's cool. So I wasn't a very good podcaster in that regard. Um, but yeah, I actually I have a semi good answer for this because I work at Moody Publishers, who lives alongside Moody Radio, and radio is kind of in the same boat as podcasting a bit different but in this regard it's quite similar of like how do we take an audio based medium and make it work on social media um and so i've been working with radio a lot moody radio which is like the biggest christian radio thing in the country uh in some depending on how you categorize it and so but they've historically not done a ton on social media um and so i'm trying to help them get a little bit better at it and so what i would do uh, is I would, so I think of content and this isn't from me. I forget where I first heard it. I think of content in terms of like big rock, like boulders and pebbles or big rock cornerstones and pebbles. Um, I forget who said this originally. I did not come up with it, but it's very good. Um, cornerstone content for you guys is like your podcast. It's your long form, your longest form that you create. That's your cornerstone. From there, you need to chip off as many pebbles as you possibly can. What that looks like is, uh, let's say you're interviewing somebody who is like an expert on prayer or something like that. And you get as many quotes as you can from them that are good from the, from the interview on prayer. And you make as many of them into share squares. You, I don't know, everybody calls them different things. You know what I'm talking about. Um, make as many of those quotes into share squares as possible. In a 40-minute podcast, I'm sure you could get three to five, if not more, great share square quotes from that person that you can share on social. So there's three to five pieces of like Instagram content. You could, I would also make them the right dimensions for Pinterest content. Um, so I'm gonna say, I'm gonna like shotgun a bunch of stuff and then I'll tell you where I'd like focus, focus. 
So that's like, that's easy. Um, I would make sure that I'm always recording video of all of my podcasts and uh, to the best of my ability, cut clips down for that would work on shorts, reels, and TikTok all at the same time. Um, and study that stuff very closely to see if one of those platforms really starts racing to the top for you. Um, and like my philosophy of social media, like doing this kind of thing over the years is uh, like do a bunch of stuff and run yourself ragged kind of early to figure out if there's a place that works best for you and your audience. And then when you see something working, just dive head first into it. So like if you were able to get like get a system down for like pulling, you know, if you're a solo operation, which most of you probably are, you know, from a 40 minute podcast, maybe you're just getting like two one minute clips that are good, right? You don't have time to pull eight. Maybe there are eight that you could pull, but you're like, man, I got time for like two, two TikToks slash Instagram reels slash YouTube shorts out of this 40 minute thing. Pull those caption them appropriately, post them on all the platforms. And then after like a month of doing that or however long you see fit, don't do it for like one podcast, you know, do it for a handful of podcasts. And then see like, oh man, YouTube shorts is actually best for my content, it looks like. Then just forget the other stuff and dive into shorts. Um, Because the biggest, one of the biggest pitfalls I've seen over the years, especially when I was working with authors, is trying to do too much on every platform that you just, your content everywhere starts to suffer. But I think you need to do a little bit of that at at some to some degree at first to get some intel to figure out like where are my people, where does my content work best, and then from there drill down. So if I were in if I were doing pod if I were doing a podcast right now, I would be recording everything on video and trying to make that consumable on those short form video platforms as best I can. I mean TikTok is the best right now, but I would not. I wouldn't be building a platform on TikTok as my sole platform if my life depended on it because it could go up in flames tomorrow. Um, but I don't. I think it'd also be kind of silly not to try something there because the discoverability there is insane. Yeah, like the, it is crazy. Um, but I think I think YouTube Shorts is actually best positioned to gain a lot of traction if TikTok goes away. Um, so I I would try a little bit on everything and just kind of see what works and go from there. I hope that helps. It's not a great answer, but I don't think there's a single right answer. It, as uh, Jerry bet, he's right. Uh, it depends. <laughs> uh, you win, Jerry. I don't know. I don't know what the odds were on that, but yeah, you won something. Uh, hey, Rachel, ask your question. Do you want to come on and ask it uh, that, that you just asked in the okay. chat? I, you may hear some kids in the background. But, That's okay. Um, hi, Chris. So hey. my question is, can you find like success off of social media, because I've like always like, I don't want to be on social media, but then I feel like I have to be almost. So can you find success off of social media? And if so, how? Because <laughs> yep. yeah. First of all, Rachel Scott, member of the Moody author family. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm very, she, I, I thought I recognized her name and then she chatted me and told me, I was like, oh yeah, I, I thought so. Yes. so. I was, I was just in a meeting recently about uh, talking about marketing and promotions for your, for your book. Um, oh, that's exciting. So yeah. Oh, try, Hey, you don't, you don't get to be a part of all our conversations, but we're talking about books that are coming out down the road already. So I love um, it. Uh, yeah. So um, 
that's a great question. I would ask, let me ask a quick follow-up. What do you mean by success? Because that could mean a hundred things. Yeah, good question. So, um, you know, you can go viral on social, on social media. Where else can you go viral so that you can really get your message out there? Sure, sure, sure. Um, I would be careful to place too much value on virality. Uh, virality you te- is um, that it, it can pay off in the long run, but so much goes viral so often these days that going viral is a lot less valuable than it used to be. Like ain't no Chewbacca mom going viral these days. And like I, we, there's a joke among those of us who have worked in social media either recently or currently that like uh, going viral tends to be more bad than good these days, uh, which is in my view, just kind of the nature of the social internet. I actually, my favorite tweet of all time, I have it printed on a coffee mug because that's just the kind of person I am that says in paraphrasing that every day there's one main character on Twitter and the goal is to never be it. And like, that's just like the perfect <laughs> example. Um, but so success, um, we are actually talking about this a little bit today in our leadership team meeting at Moody um, because we've, we've, been, we've been wrestling with platform a lot. Um, and just like, what is platform? What matters most in platform? How should we weigh things in platform? Like how should we weigh speaking? Like if an author's coming with a book proposal, how should we weigh how often they speak about their topic versus how many followers they have on social media versus how many people are in their email list? Versus how many downloads they have of their podcast. And nobody knows how to do this. Nobody. The biggest publishers in the world lose tens of millions of dollars a year on books they should have never signed with Instagram influencers because Instagram followers don't really sell books. But like somebody who has 300,000 Instagram followers is more likely to get a book deal than somebody who has 300, which is just like kind of logical in some sense, right? Um but it's but like everybody also acknowledges that 300,000 Instagram followers does not a bestseller make like uh, so it's not perfect and it's there's no right answer. What I would say is this: while going viral can be good and is possible to some degree, I think it's it's least possible for like podcasty kind of content. I mean, I think going viral is going to be most likely if you do something like self-deprecating and accidental really is like a fail kind of thing. Or like you've got an adorable kid who likes corn or you <laughs> uh, do a dance on TikTok that goes viral for some reason. Again, with just probably going to be like deprecating. You're probably not going to go viral for like an insightful clip from a podcast episode. Like that's just not usually the content that kind of goes viral. Um, and it can, it can just, it can just evaporate so quickly. So um I tend to direct people's efforts, especially when I'm working with authors and stuff, to that sort of like regular consistency. And the I think the sh- most surefire way to like build a successful platform in the long run from in a digital perspective is email. For me, email's everything. Email is the goal, the goal. So if I had a podcast, I would be having a podcast to try to get people to sign up for an email list. I would not be having a podcast even to get people to buy a book. I would be getting them on the email list to then hopefully get them to buy a book. Email is the most valuable digital asset you can have, period. There's nothing close. I would, and this is just me, I'm not saying Moody itself. I, as a someone who works in publishing and speaks into who we sign to book deals, I would sign somebody with an email list of 5,000 and an 80% open rate before I'd sign somebody with 25,000 Instagram followers and it's not even close. It's not even close because if you've got 5,000 email subscribers at an 80% open rate, an open rate is that is a lot. Like, I don't care if you have 80,000 email subscribers and a 10% open rate, 
that's, you know, that's as good as an 8,000 email. You know what I'm saying? You know the math. Um, but email list size doesn't matter as much as open rate does. Both matter. Um, and so I would say drive everything to email. Social media, you should always be using social media to free yourself from social media. Um, gain Instagram followers, gain Facebook followers to move them to your email and then do not care about that anymore. Um, like I, because it, now I think you can build, like I think Facebook group, totally different thing. Like that's building a community that's like a back and forth and like a dinner table conversation. But I think in terms of like a Facebook page, an Instagram page, get those people there to drive them to an email list, which is the most intimate form of social, of most intimate form of in internet relationship you can have with them. And you own that. So if Instagram ever decides to upend everything or, you, you know, you don't own any of those followers, they're just gone. That's why I say, like, I wouldn't be building a platform only on TikTok right now because TikTok could be gone tomorrow. Um, mm -hmm. So, I, again, I don't think it's wrong. to I think I think doing some work there is good, but have have multiple legs to your stool, I guess. So, yeah, but so, email emails everything. Yeah, Chris. So what you're what you're saying is you, you can't build your platform on rented land, right? Like you. Absolutely yeah. shouldn't do that. So the, the classic model is a hub and spoke, right? Your website is your is your hub, but your email is the way that you're going to make sure you're in touch with your people, right? Social media goes out from your website as these these things on the on the outside, but they're part of your. So you were talking about this earlier, where your your what'd you call it? Uh, your uh, plat pillar content, or what did you go? Something yeah, like, uh, like cornerstone and pillar. cornerstone. Yeah. yeah. So I would say that that's your middle, your main stuff, whatever is your website. This is why I always say you have to have a website. Like you need to have a website for your, for your podcast and for your overall thing, whatever you're building here, because that's, that's the thing you can control, right? The thing about social media is let's say you were able to build a hundred thousand or a million people on or you're Keith Lee and get 4 million in however many months. So do you guys know who this guy is? He's like tasting food around Las Vegas, helping little mom and pop shops. Oh yeah. Yeah. Dude, for, uh, first I of all, you ten. I read it. Ten. Yeah, number one, why didn't I uh, think of that? Because I'm hungry sometimes. And uh, number two, like it's just genius, brilliant. But what he's so you, some some people can do that, but it doesn't matter if he has four million followers if he can't reach any of them if TikTok gets banned, right? Yep, doesn't matter. So you have to have your own platform and things that you control that you can that you can actually handle. I'm not. I'm a little bit of a control freak personally, but uh, you, you, it's not about that so much as it is. You don't want to put your destiny in someone else's hands where you don't have to. So, uh, that's certainly really important. And one of the things we talk about, okay. Any other questions? Anybody else has, we're a little, we're a little over, but that's okay. If, if you're good, Chris, we're, we're good. I'm fine. We usually go a, a little over. Go ahead, Sue. How, um, so what is your best tip for translating your followers to your email list besides opt-ins? Um, on this may be platform specific. So are you thinking of a specific platform? Uh, well, I have 600 in my Facebook group before I remembered to start making them give me their email address. So I'd like to transfer them over. That's one. And then a couple thousand on Instagram followers, I think. But yeah, uh, I think I have only 1900 on my email list. Yeah. Well, that's a pretty good email list, frankly. Um, I think you, I mean, the best thing that I've seen is op, like opt-ins, like, hey, join the email list, get this for, for that kind of thing. If it's not, if you don't use that as a cost of entry, which tends to be the the most effective way, we're like, hey, 
by joining this Facebook group, you're joining this email list. Like that, that tends to be most effective. But if you're going to have to do it retroactively, as you describe, I think like, yeah, offering something of some value to them um, that's in your, in their, your area of expertise, why they would maybe be, want to be a part of it is your best bet. Um, but so, I mean, some people just won't and that's okay. Like, um, and you know, uh, the goal is just to try to get people there as best as possible. I mean, like if you have any ad budget for anything, um, you know, I, depending on how you spend it, like I, I will rotate on the Facebook pages I've managed over the years and Instagram accounts between running ads that grow audience. And then once I've done that for a while, run ads to translate that audience to email. Um, so like just change, like change the kinds of ads you run from, like, I think of it as like, this is kind of a crude way, especially in terms of like our, our faith, but it's, it's the best analogy I have is like, I think of it in terms of like brand evangelism versus brand discipleship. So like, I'm either going to grow my audience, like bring more people in, or I'm going to drive them, like encourage them to dive more deeply into a relationship with whatever it is that I'm promoting. And that's going to be, so am I running this ad to gain more people who have never heard of me? Or am I running this ad to drive the people who have heard of me and are kind of hanging around the fringes to have a more deep relationship with me through a sale or an email list or, or whatever. So um, that's easier if you have a little bit of money to spend from time to time. And by that, I literally mean like 20 bucks a week or something like that. Uh, Cause I've run campaigns easily on that little of a budget. So. Thank you. Yeah. Love it. Any other questions you guys have? Ooh, good. This is a good question from Jerry on is Substack, is Substack considered rented space like social media? Can I, can I address that? That's a yeah, good question. I was hoping. You would. Okay. This is, this is a really good question because Substack does feel a little bit like a gray area. And I think it is um, because here's what I would say. I would be hesitant to like expect Substack to pay my mortgage unless, unless it's paying 10 times my mortgage. And then it's like, okay, I'm, if Substack goes away tomorrow, I'll probably figure something out. Um, but you know, if I'm like, yeah, man, I'm, I'm making it as a Substack creator, but like barely. Um, because if they change their rates, if they do go away, you might be in trouble. Like you may, your audience may not follow you wherever you got to go. However, you will keep your email list if Substack goes away. That's where it's different from social. Mm-hmm. If Instagram goes away tomorrow, they're gone. Good luck. Like, sorry about you. But if Substack went away tomorrow, you would, you would still get to retain that email list. Um, you, you would not retain the dollars. Like you'd have to figure out a way to get people to pay you again. That's why I would say like, I'd be a little bit nervous of like going full time as a Substack creator, unless I was making like way more money than I needed month to month. Then it, then it's like, okay, if I have to bounce over to this other paid newsletter platform, I'll probably carry enough people over that I'll be okay. But you do, you will, you would, I've thought about this a lot as somebody whose primary platform is Substack that if it went away tomorrow, I would still, I would be able to export that email list and bounce over to wherever I needed to bounce. So it is, it's a little bit different than rented, but if you're drawing income from there, I would have backup plans, you know? That makes sense. So like the, the followers or the subscribers are yours. The vehicle you're using to stay in touch is kind of the rented. I would, yeah, I would say you, you're renting a payment platform more than you're renting a content platform because you can 
Yeah, you're you're not yeah, you're not renting your audience where you are definitely on social. Um, but you are like, yeah, you're you're renting uh the ability to make money. Yeah. Cool. Which you'd have to pay for anyway, in one way or another. Right. Yeah. Right. There is there is a new platform called Beehive, which is really cool. And if I if I was trying to like do a paid newsletter, like dive full in, like I want to get as many people paying as possible game, this I'd probably bounce over there because they right now, again, this could all change, but um, they have this tool. I forget who created it, but they created, oh, I think it's the guys who originally created Morning Brew or something like that. Anyway, um, you they actually don't take a cut of your pay. You just pay a... a pretty good monthly or annual fee so like whereas i don't pay a dime for Substack, but they take a cut of everything beehive is more like pay us a fee and you get 100 percent of what people pay you which is that's a you know some people might feel better about that than paying 30 percent of whatever or whatever it is Substack typically does so um yeah it's really cool it's just like i'm not trying to make a bunch of money on my email right now so i'm like i'm not gonna go pay them and the platform looks really sharp like it just looks really pretty it's like b-e-e-h-i-i-v i think is what it is um it just looks really sharp i think it looks like an impressive platform and if you're wanting to do a paid newsletter i'd give it a once over for sure because i the people behind it i've been following them on social as they've kind of been building it and they have some really influential newsletter people behind them who have done it well um, who are helping speak into strategy, like add this feature, don't add this feature. And so I just kind of trust their expertise in the space. And so if you're trying to go that route and you're like, I don't know about Substack, give it a shot. Cause I, I was like, Oh, I'd love to move over here, but I'm not trying to make a bunch of paid subscribers right now. And so it just didn't really make sense. Yeah. Do you know anybody who could give us a Substack training? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, I mean, I can give like a crash course, but <laughs> no, I don't, you mean in terms of like going paid and stuff? Yeah, I mean, so like Rachel asked, it's it's new. Is there a training? We don't have one, I've, like, because it's it's actually a pretty new platform in terms yeah. of social yeah. generally. So, um, but yeah. I'm aware it's, of it. Yeah, sure. It's it's a pretty um, it's a pretty simple like email platform. I mean, if you've used the blog, it's not that much more complicated than that. It's just like it just goes out via email, and then you can share the link to it on social media, just like you would with a blog post. Where there becomes like yeah, they've added a Substack feature, as Michelle says, which is really cool. Like, I've wanted to tinker with that a little bit. Again, if you're going to run it there, like, I would run it a few places. You know, like, you probably post your podcast to different platforms. Just could maybe consider Substack as one of them. But if you ever wanted to have, like, a paid podcast where, like, only people who right. pay can access this podcast, Substack is a great way to do that. Um, but, yeah, so I, I'm probably not the best person just because I'm kind of a light user of it. I'm not doing all the podcast stuff. And it'd be interesting if you did get someone who – who's using it for that. Yeah. But there is, you know, there's, there are best practices. They're very good at training users as well. So if you're like, if you're really interested in Substack, they have all kinds of great tools that I've used as I've, as I've worked on it of like, Hey, you know, if I wanted to go pay, like turn on paid, when's a good time to do that? Like how many free subscribers should I have before I turn on paid? They have really good resources to help you mm -hmm. walk through and think through all of that. Um, and so anyway, I would, I would peruse if I, if you guys are interested I'd go through their little trainings that they have. Uh, but then, yeah, if you, if you have managed to come across someone who's using the podcast feature, I bet that would be a really helpful person for this group. Yeah, that'd be interesting. All right. Well, we'll keep an eye out. And if you guys uh, see anybody, then uh, let me know. And I'm always happy to reach out and bring somebody in, especially if that's something we want to learn about. All right. Um, 
Yeah, interesting. Michelle, you've been looking at maybe doing a paid podcast. I was curious if you were looking at that for that, but uh, interesting. All right. Well, uh, Chris, thanks so much for being here. I really do appreciate your expertise and just the conversation. I think, yeah, it's very thoughtful and gives us all something to think about and, and consider how we're going to engage online. Again, I think that idea, it is possible to engage in a Christ-like way, certainly with humility and grace and joy on social media, not just, uh, you know, some of the junk that we're all familiar with. And uh, maybe once in a while I've for, from fomented, is that the word? Maybe. Uh, and anyway, you guys get the idea. Hey, friends, if you're watching in CPA uh, today, I'm going to post a link. This is one of our gold sessions. So we bring in members or bring in uh, speakers like Chris and others uh, at least once uh, a month. Or I've been thinking about doing it more. Maybe we'll see. But that uh, is part of what we do to, to have these conversations, to challenge us. We also have coaching, uh, group coaching calls and masterminds where we challenge each other and we give our goals and we give. Uh, our challenges. And this is a thing that somebody's dealing with. And then we all kind of, uh, we hive mind that and we go together and, and, and find the way so that we can uh, encourage and keep each other going. If that appeals to you, would love to have you in CPA Gold. These people are all amazing. And I know that they would help you support you as well as I will. A couple of them are, are new members and I appreciate that. Uh, if you want to join, I'm going to put the link down here or you can message me and I'm happy to hop on a call and chat with you about it. Guys, thanks a lot. Thanks again, Chris. Where can people find you? Termsofservice.social? Yeah, termsofservice.social on Twitter at ChrisMartin17 is probably the best place. I'm on Instagram as well. I'm posting reels there now, as I said, so that's go. weird. Um, <laughs> also, just I wanted to say I'm... Um, I have this new book yes. coming out in March. If anybody needs podcast guests, I will come on anyone's podcast to talk about whatever you want. So... Uh, reach out to me on Twitter, Instagram. My email is chris.j.martin17 at gmail.com. I can put it in the chat, but Chris, you go. Chris J. Martin 17 at gmail.com. Um, I'll come on any of your guys' podcast. I'm, uh, yeah, I promise I'll try to be yes. a good guest and we'll talk about whatever you want. I don't care. That was, on, that was on my list of things to say, but I'm glad, I'm glad that you brought it up. So friends, uh, if you haven't had Chris, definitely connect with him and have him on your show. Uh, if you're in the, the main uh, CPA group, do that as well. So I hope that we can get you a bunch of interviews just uh, for being here. So Chris, thanks again for being here. Friends, we'll see you next week. It'll be great.